Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone. Uh, let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to begin with the second part of our lesson in our Mind Control series. You're joining us for the first time. We're not talking about brainwashing or controlling your mind. We're talking about controlling our own mind. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for another day of life. Uh, God, we know that there are many people in the world right now who are fighting for their lives, God, and uh, we, we just pray that you will comfort those who are on the cusp of uh, their mortality, God. We just pray that you will help the families and uh, those who are uh, directly impacted by the condition uh, of these people, God. We do want to pray for our brother Nietzsche uh, as we lay his health before you, Father. We pray for Daisy and the children. Father, that you'll give them the strength that they need as, as, they, as they go through this season in their life, God. We pray that you will comfort them and remind them of all your promises, remind them of your unfailing love. Uh, as death is a reality and we all uh, will be impacted directly or indirectly, God, I just pray that you remind us of all the uh, the, the, the scriptures full of grace and comfort and uh, surround us with people who know when to speak and when not to speak. Uh, just their presence alone uh, speaks volumes, God. We pray for this time in your word uh, that we will leave here uh, with a conviction that we will think the truth about our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I do pray that my words will be yours and that your spirit will guide this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we are going to continue on. It's a picture of the big brain right there, right? Mind control, we're, we're picking apart Philippians 4, verse 8. But uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we began the, uh, the beginning of the year. We started the beginning of the year uh, focusing on Mark 12, verse 30, where Jesus commands us to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. So right now we're going to talk about the mind for the next few weeks. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about thinking about the truth about God and his word and also thinking the truth about ourselves, how God sees ourselves. I don't know about you, but the more I put that into practice, uh, the better my weeks have been. You know, when I would stop and, and really reflect on how God sees me rather than how James sees James. You know, sometimes we can be our own worst critic. We can beat ourselves up over a mistake or, or still wrestling with the past sin. And, 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 and we, when we look in the mirror, that's who we see. And, you know, we need to look at the other mirror, that spiritual mirror that reminds us that we're in God's grace, that we're forgiven if we repent, and that, that if we have a relationship with God, that we are, we are new creation. And that's what God wants us to embrace. That's what God wants us to see. So I, I, I made a deliberate effort. Whenever I was down to myself, James, that's not who God sees. And, and going to a scripture to help lift me out of that, uh, that little uh, spiritual hole right there. But today I, I want to take a look. I want to talk about thinking the truth about others. I think some of us don't have a problem thinking good things about ourselves. Sometimes, some of us may need to tone it down just a little bit. But I think when it comes to other people, that's what some of us really struggle with. 
thinking good about others. Now, I'm not talking about those outside the church because, let's be honest, that in and of itself is a challenge. All right? Thinking good about people who don't claim Jesus as Lord, that's a challenge. And, and, I, don't, and I, I wonder if God really expects us to practice a lot of what we're called to do with each other. I don't know if he really expects that that will work out in the world because you gotta, it's got to be both. It's got to be a two-way thing. We both have to have Jesus as Lord, and the Bible needs to be our standard because a lot of the scriptures we see in the scripture, and a lot of the principles we see in the scripture, are for people who live in a community where this is going to be mutual, that the love is going to be mutual, that if I come to you, you're also to come to me. Like that practice is a norm in, in this relationship. And so if it's not, it's going to be very discouraging for you to expect someone in your workplace to speak the truth in love to you. They may have no problem speaking the truth to you, but will they do it in love as disciples are supposed to do? So I'm I'm talking to those who call on Jesus as Lord right now. Now that doesn't mean that practicing some of these things won't help you, but I do believe that it's going to be a challenge for us if Jesus is not Lord of your life. Now let me ask you a question. Do you suffer from an overactive mind when it comes to what others may think or may not think of you. Sometimes people do. But I believe that applying Paul's principle in Philippians 4 verse 8, where he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about what's true in your relationships. Think about what's true about people. Think about those things is what Paul is saying. There are a lot of other things you can think about. Thinking negative comes naturally because of our sinful nature, but it takes a deliberate effort to think about what's true. You know, our, our relationships with others need to be guided by the truth in God's word. I don't know about you, but sometimes my mind can play games with me when it comes to relationships. Second-guessing people's motives. Wondering what a person is or isn't saying, trying to read in between the lines. What do they really mean when he said that? Have you ever found yourself thinking, you know, she said that there's nothing wrong, but I'm not sure. Or he says everything is okay, but is it really? You know, we, we try to come up with explanation for people's actions. He's been grumpy lately, so he must be angry with me. She asked if we can talk. I must have done something wrong. I wonder what he wants from me now. He only texts me when he wants something. I haven't talked to her in a while. I, I must have done something to offend her. You know, these, these thoughts, our, our mind can play these tricks on us, leading us to second-guess and speculate, and, and that can really drive a wedge in our relationships. When we assume that people are either thinking something about us or not thinking something about us. And the reality of it is, is it true? The only way you know is there has to be some communication, right? Training our minds... the truth to our relationships. You know, I love how Paul 
breaks this down because Paul, if anyone, had a reason to look negatively at people was Paul. Paul was beaten, abandoned by his own people. They stoned him, threw him out of his city. He was shipwrecked. I mean, Paul had all sorts of bad things happen to him. The church in Corinth, they, they didn't believe he was a true apostle. He had to prove himself. I mean, he had conflict after conflict after conflict, and yet he is the one who wrote this. He is the one who said, you know what? Think about the truth. Think of those things. Think of those things. And I believe that there are two principles that Paul teaches about thinking the truth of others that can really help us out this morning. Amen? The first thing is practice the principle of love. Practice the love principle when it comes to thinking of others. You know, in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul speaks of applying this principle in our relationships because he had to. There were issues going on in Corinth where people, there were, there were people in the church speaking out against Paul. They were like, this guy's not a real apostle. Why should we listen to him? And there were a lot of other things that were going on in the church. And so Paul had to deal with these things. Paul had to write letters. Paul had to, you know, had to address these issues. But the thing I love about Paul is that he did not retreat from it. Paul did not crawl away and just let things happen. Paul dealt with things. And I think sometimes when, it, when conflict comes up in relationship, we tend to shy away from the conflict. And that conflict is going to stay right there. It's not going anywhere. You can't try, you can't sleep it off. You can't go to vacation and vacation it off. You can't even, you can't even read or pray it off. You got to deal with the conflict. That's the only way it will go away, is you got to deal with it. And if you're a person who does not like conflict, then guess what? You're going to have conflict. I don't like conflict, but I love people. And I know that if I want this person to stay in my life, then we got to deal with this. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But love is what motivates me to have those conversations. There are two specific qualities that I want to focus on in Paul's principle of love. First Corinthians 13, first let's look at that. First Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. You know, the first thing that I want to look at is, you know, Paul talks about love not delighting in evil, but rejoicing with the truth. He said that love does not take pleasure in any kind of evil, especially evil thoughts about others. When it comes to our relationships, you know, Paul, this can also be read as love does not enjoy when others go astray. When someone truly repents, that's a reason for rejoicing. You know, Jesus said in the gospel, when a sinner repents, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And so, when a brother or a sister repents, we should rejoice with them. We should rejoice. There should be a time of rejoicing. Not delighting in people's downfall. Not gloating over the fact that you told them and they didn't change and therefore that's what happened. That's not love. That's
that's not entertaining. That's entertaining thoughts that are not pleasing. How would you feel if someone found out that you made a mistake, you fell, and then you found out that that person was actually happy about it? Would you feel loved by that person? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. See, Paul, when he uses the word rejoicing in 1 Corinthians 13, it literally means rejoice together, to applaud, joyfully celebrate. Paul was like, make a big deal about this. Because the opposite can do so much damage to the relationships. And so when, we, when, we, when we're able to train our minds to really think right about people, when you overcome a thought, that's a reason to rejoice. You know, I used to really not like you. Now, I'm not saying you need to say this to people directly, all right? You can, this, this is self-talk. You can say this in your own mind. You know, I, I couldn't stand that person at that point, but, but my heart is different. My heart is different. You know what? Don't treat yourself to a cup of ice cream or something, because that's a reason to rejoice. You know, that's a reason to be happy. That's a reason because you've changed the way you look at someone, and now you're thinking the truth about people. What if the world practiced this principle? Imagine the gravity of love in our society today. If people did not think evil about other people, but instead rejoiced in the truth about other people. Imagine that. You know, I think that when people repent, it is a reason of celebration. I'll tell you, when I, before I came up, became a Christian, I had all sorts of thoughts about certain people. And God had to deal with that with the Word. When I sat down and they opened up the Bible, my heart was so convicted that I felt ashamed that I was entertaining thoughts about people I didn't even know. But just because they, they fit a certain group, I felt a certain kind of way about it. Because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of that is cultist built into our culture and how in our upbringing. You may not even have a personal conflict with certain people, but because the way you were raised, somebody else's conflict now becomes your conflict. And so where African Americans may not have any issue with the Latin people, when we come into the church and we're like, wait a second, I gotta sit in church with Latin people, whereas in, I never grew up liking Latin people and I never grew up liking African Americans. Why am I expecting? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus breaks down all barriers. Jesus breaks down all walls. So however you used to see African Americans, however you used to see Latins or white people or whatever, that is no longer an issue because you're taught to love all people. You're taught to love everyone. And the church changes our way of thinking because it forces us to look beyond skin deep. It forces us to really look at people's lives. This is why Jesus said you don't say raka to someone. You don't call someone an idiot because you're making a judgment on their whole life. Who are we to do that? It's only God who knows someone's beginning and end. how people were brought up. You don't know what they had to go through to get here where they're at today. So to make a judgment on somebody's life, that's, that's not loving.
This is coming from a man who was raised in the ways of Galileo. Someone who, who was raised in, the, in, 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 not Galileo, he was raised in, in, in the, the, the Sandri- Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was taught one way. Paul persecuted the church because the church was not practicing Judaism, not practicing what he was taught and raised to believe is true. It was totally different. But yet Paul had to meet Jesus. And Jesus had to deal with his way of thinking about others. So much so that Jesus said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer in my name. Because it's not easy. It's not easy, especially if you've been hurt by people. Some people have, have suffered under the hands of other people from other races. They got a lot more to deal with. They got a lot more to overcome. But it's possible. It's absolutely possible. Now Paul teaches to love because he gone through it. He practiced this. And so he's, he's not just saying, hey guys, this is a good idea. No, Paul actually lived this. In 2 Corinthians 7, you know, when we look at people who have come from lifestyles that may have included hatred or, or may have, have may, maybe they were exclusive in their relationships. And true repentance is seen by our deeds. And repentance begins where? Right here. In the way we think. And so when we come into the church and we're called to repent, we're being called to change the way you see things. Change the way you see people, especially. Because Jesus gave us a mission in Matthew 28 to go out and save people. So you can't go save people that you're not willing to love. So you got to change the way you see people. The people on the corner, standing in front of the grocery store, not all of them are out there selling drugs. But in some of our minds, that's the image we have of guys who stand on the corner. I used to be one of those guys. Sometimes that was the safest place to hang out. Because they were shooting up in the park. They were selling drugs in the park. So the safest place to go was on the corner in front of the store where all the lights was at. So when the shooting was going down, I could dip into the store. But see, people see me standing in front of the store, young African man, they think that, oh, he out there selling drugs. He must be out there doing crime. I never sold drugs a day in my life. But when we think that way of people, And look, let's be honest. Christians are some of the biggest culprits. We're saints. We're we're, we're holy as he is holy. That guy looks a little suspicious. Now look, listen to me for a second here, though. I'm not saying you need to let your guards down. I'm, I'm not saying you need to just walk up to anybody and, you know, no, people are evil. But you can't paint people with a broad brush. And just because they look or act a certain way, they must be a certain Half of the guys in this church came from backgrounds that would shock all of us. And they're your brothers and sisters today. But it took somebody 
to decide that I'm not going to think evil about this person. I'm going to love this person. And I'm going to open the word of God. Because he too needs Jesus. And they're here today. They're here today. You know, when we talk about repentance, it's not enough to just say that I'm a Christian. You know, right here, the attitude that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, is godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. I have no regrets about the way I think about people now. No regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done at every point. You prove yourselves to be innocent in this matter. In Acts 3, verse 19, it says, Repent and turn to God that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, this is a truth we can all rejoice in. Our thoughts will affect how we feel about people. If you got issues with people in the world before Christ, it's not going to magically go away when you make Jesus Lord of your life. You still have to decide to love people. You still have to decide to love people. And so it takes effort to take those thoughts. Once they, once they get there in your mind, to take them and say, no, I'm not going to entertain this thought. I'm not going to entertain this thought because your thoughts about people will eventually become your feelings about people. And we know where feelings can take us. We know how far emotions can drive us. You know, the emotions of hate and resentment and bitterness and anger and envy. Those actions come from our thoughts. They come from how we see people. And so if you're entertaining your thoughts about people, then you're going to treat them the way you think they need to be treated. Yeah, I love this quote from this book. Uh, it's called the Feeling, Feeling Good, the New Mood Therapy by Dr. David Burns. He says, your feelings result from the messages you give yourself. In fact, your thoughts often have much more to do with how you feel than what is actually happening in your life. You could be in the midst of a hurricane crisis. Depending on how you, where your thoughts are at, that can be a crisis or it can be a moment in time where God, it's just a matter of time, this, this is going to pass. All storms pass. All storms pass. And I love how the apostles put it, light and momentary troubles. And these men were persecuted everywhere they went. You're not persecuted everywhere you go. You may bump into a few people who don't agree with your, your convictions. You may bump into a few people who don't agree about church or the Bible or Jesus or God. That's not every day of your life. That's not every day of your life. If we feed ourselves negative thoughts about people, we'll have negative feelings towards people. Now here's the thing. We can't stop those wild speculations. We absolutely can by simply asking, what is true? What is true about this person? What's true? What, what is true about how I really feel about this person? Now, if you really do feel anger and animosity towards that person, then you got to deal with your own heart. You can't control people. You got to deal with you. 
And you got to repent. But Paul gives us a way. Paul says, think the truth. Focus on the truth. In your marriage, you know, your, your spouse gets on your last nerve. You know, you think the truth about them. Do they really deliberately want to get on my last nerve? I mean, do they really want me to be this upset? No. Because on our wedding day, they said that they were going to do everything to make me feel special, to make me feel loved. So I, that's, that's the truth. What they said on the that's, that's what I'm going to believe. That's what I'm going to believe. I'm not going to dwell on this because if I dwell on that, I'm not going to want to be with them anymore. So you keep feeding your thoughts. You keep feeding your thoughts the negative. It's only a matter of time before you see a way out. But when you feed yourself love, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to make this thing. We're going to to get on each other's nerves until the day we die. But we're going to work this thing out. We're going to work this thing out. A second thing that Paul, second quality is he talks about love always trust. This is a lot. It's not as easy as it sounds because some of us have reason to not trust people. You know, maybe, maybe you were abused by, by people. Maybe you were, you know, or specific people. You may have a reason to not trust certain people. But love always assumes the best. This is what Paul is talking about. He's not, again, he's not talking about us being gullible. It's not talking about us just loving people going around like, you know, everything is happy and the birds are always going to sing. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about assuming the best of people. Because someone, somehow, sometimes, you know, people are going to wrong you. We're, we're sinners. You know, we got to think, think what's best. We got to assume the best. Because someone forgot to acknowledge or did not acknowledge you, does not mean that there is something wrong. Sometimes, you know, when I come to church, if there are people I want to talk to before things start to get crazy, I'm laser focused. I'm looking for that person. So if I happen to walk past you because I see that person and I know that five other people are going to want to talk to me at the same time, but if I see that person, I make a beeline to that person and I don't say hi to you, I don't acknowledge you, it doesn't mean that James doesn't love you, that James doesn't care about you, that James ignores you. This is the James wants to have a conversation. That's it. That's really it. And sometimes our insecurities can drive us crazy, so we make it our business to interrupt that conversation. Oh, James must not have seen me, so let me make sure he saw me. And then right but hey, hey, how you doing? I'm like, you just, you can't do that. Oh, I, I didn't think you saw me. I saw you. <laughs> but I got to have a conversation. And it's not just me. I mean, with, you know, with, with each other. Oh, no, she must not have seen me. You know, something's up. I mean, what's going on with her? She didn't. And then the attitudes start kicking in, and right away, she didn't say hi to me, and, nah, nah, nah. and then our heads start going on crazy. She says, you know, you know how y'all do. And then you get this phone call, this text message, hey, we need to talk. I'm like, whoa. And now my mind is going crazy, because now I'm thinking, that tone, that, she used capital letters right there in that text. I'm, what did I do? And now I'm backtracking my day. I'm thinking, man, what did I do? Did I... I say something? Did I say something in the message that offended her? Now I'm thinking, and it's, oh, you didn't say hi to me. All this time, they're going crazy, racking my mind, thinking, and it was because of that. 
They didn't respond to your phone call or your text message or your Facebook post. Maybe they didn't like your Facebook post. That doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong. It could be a hundred other reasons. But almost automatically, some of us can assume the worst of people. And then we approach people with our accusations. We've come up with our minds instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt. You forgot me. You ignored me. You walked right past me and you didn't say anything. This is one that has dreamt, this one drove me crazy for years. What's my name, James? And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, you know their name. That really should be all that matters, is that on the day of judgment, you call their name. It shouldn't matter if I call their name. You're not, I don't, how do I even know you're going to have me calling people's names? But for some reason, it matters to this person that I know their name, Jesus. Help me to remember their name. <laughs> and we just assume that if I don't know your name, that you're not important. You're important. You're important. I pray for you every week. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to know all your names. And what's even worse is when you want me to know your kids' names. I'm like, you know what? If you really want me to know your name, get one of those sticky notes or one of those name tags. Write it up there. All the information you want me to know so I can take a picture with you. Maybe we can take a selfie together. And I will remember your name. But we just assume, we just assume we have these expectations for each other that's just unrealistic. Sisters, if another sister points out something about what you're wearing, where did your mind go? Do you assume the best or do you assume the worst? She's jealous. She don't look this good anymore. That's why I ain't having kids. Look, I'm married to a woman. I know. I hear something. I'm like, word? She said that? <laughs> or brothers. If a brother talks to you and you notice that you're putting on some weight, how do you respond? I think some of us are too sensitive. Bro, I got a glandular problem and now, you know, I just, look, that might be true, but can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Because if I'd known you at a certain, if I'd known you before and you were smaller, and you know, it could be a lot of reasons for that. I don't want to assume anything. That's why I'm coming to you. That's why I'm asking you. Because I'm concerned. I want you to be concerned about me. You know, there are ways we can communicate and ask questions in love, but we got to assume the best of people. we got to assume that, man, this is coming. If I'm approaching you about something, if someone is bringing up something, stop for a second and think, how long have they been thinking this? How hard must it be for them to have to bring this up to me? 
How long have they been concerned about this in my life? I appreciate, because I know it probably took a lot for you to bring this up. This is probably uncomfortable for you right now. I just appreciate, because I know how I feel when I need to bring something up, and it's tough. So I appreciate that. Assume that it's coming from love. Love. I might ask a brother, hey, bro, what you doing? How you, I noticed you lost some weight. What are you doing? There might be a reason for brothers. Or, I mean, hey, I've tried something. I've lost a few pounds. Would you mind joining me? But if we're too sensitive to talk about things, then no one's going to talk to you. And that's a bad place to be. And then those speculative thoughts will just keep going. Well, how come nobody's talking to me? Are you easy to talk to? You know, when spending time with your friends, do you find yourself too sensitive to talk and taking things that they did, did not say out of context? We read into things too much. And this is a trust issue, which can be repaired by simply asking what is true. Paul says that love always trusts, meaning it never loses faith in each other. By seeking to forgive the most favorable interpretation, the truth will allow. That's where we want to go with this. Believing the best, not being overly suspicious. That's what always trust means. It's, it's willing to think the best of others. For some of us, instead of abiding by the principle of innocent until proven guilty, we live by this principle of guilty until proven innocent. So everyone around us is constantly being tested. And they don't even know it. And that's not fair. Now it does, again, I want to I I stress this, it doesn't mean that you must be gullible. Because sometimes, even in the church, people don't always have the best intentions. But trusting everyone instead of, you know, when you, when you allow yourself to take people's words and actions at face value, we got to trust. All right, you know what? That person loves me. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt because I believe in another principle that Jesus taught is practice having a clear conscience. That's how I want to sleep every night. With a smile on my face because my conscience is clear. I love this, this uh, French proverb. It says, there is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. In Matthew 18, verse 15, this is a principle that Jesus gives. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Now, Jesus taught this principle to the community of disciples who were following. He wanted his community to be harmonious. He wanted everyone in there to be able to have a clear conscience when it comes to conflict resolution. He wants everyone to be able to be at peace with one another. And people, you know, some scholars believe that Jesus not only expects for us to lovingly confront believers who sin against us, but that Jesus also expected that when we see clear, obvious sin in someone's life, that we are to go between the two of us and point that out. Now, again, this is clear. This isn't assumption. This isn't what seems to be. This is, this appears, this is, you know what? I noticed this. Can we talk about it? Now, 
Let me just say this. Let me just add this right here. No one here can really question somebody's commitment. If you haven't been with that person's life, you don't know the, the story. If you don't know the details of a person's life, we can't really say somebody's committed or uncommitted. The only way you can do that is you've got to sit down and there needs to be conversation. But just because somebody has been sporadic, there are a lot of seasons we go through in life. Ten years ago, someone would have questioned my commitment because of my work schedule. But my heart was truly devoted to God. I read my Bible, prayed, I shared my faith every day. I did all the things I'm, I'm expected to do, repent of the sin, confess sin. It's just that my work schedule did not allow me to be where I needed to be when it came to church. That being said, I expected God to open up a door. I did expect God to work out my schedule so that I could keep my commitment to God and the body. I didn't just settle for that. But when it comes to commitment, you can't just make a judgment call of somebody's life without getting in their life. And so this one-on-one -on -one interaction Jesus gives us alleviates those assumptions. If you see what appears to be sin in somebody's life, you have the obligation as their brother or sister in Christ to approach them just between the two of you and talk about it with love in the mind and assuming the best. Hey, bro, I don't want to assume anything. This is why I'm coming to you. I noticed I haven't seen you in a while. Every, is everything okay? I just want to know, is everything okay? And you'll get the story. You'll get the, you'll get the answer that you're looking for. If they're honest, they'll tell you what's going on. If it's complicated, they'll tell you it's complicated. They give you something to pray for, you, you'll know. At least you'll know. Now, what this does not say is if you see somebody in a sin, go tell somebody else and ask them to talk to the person because you're afraid of conflict. That is not what the scripture says. It says between the two of you. Because what that does is it keeps gossip from happening. It keeps, it keeps, when it's guided by love, the offender is given the benefit of the doubt and it's usually resolved. It, it fosters quick resolution. When you go, and there's a, a sense of urgency in this passage. Because even Jesus goes as far as saying, if you notice someone is, is, uh, has an offense against you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled with your brother. Now, when you hear that passage, you think, okay, well, I'll go to church, you know, before I do anything. But with that passage, for the people at Jesus' time, when they had to give their gift to the altar, that was a travel. They had a long distance. So he, Jesus said, leave it there. Go back to where whoever that fence lived and then come back. That could take days. But Jesus expected urgency. The issue comes when we let things lag, when we procrastinate, and that's when, that's when the feelings start to take over. And before you realize it, misunderstandings happen, hurt comes, church leaders got to get involved, all this stuff where it can, be, it can be dealt with just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Um, you know, practicing this principle and expecting others to do the same, you know, Jesus, we, 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 we get that we need to practice this. But here's the thing, we, we also need to expect others to practice this with us. So if you sin against someone 
You need to make it easy for someone to point that out in your life. If they come to you personally and they say, hey, you know, when you said this or, you know, it offended me or whatever, then you got to deal with that between the two of you. And we're adults here, people. We're, we're adults. We should be able to talk things. This isn't high school where we need the dean or the principal to come in. And, and I mean, there are times where things are, you know, you don't see eye to eye and, and things like we may need to get people involved. But at the, you shouldn't have to have another adult tell you to go talk to somebody. We're adults here. Amen? In John 16, and we're bringing this to a close. John 16, verse 8. As believers, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people may not bring stuff up to you. But you know you said or did something wrong. Because the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you did something wrong. In John 16, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So if you sin against someone, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, you know what? You know that was wrong. Even if they didn't catch it, if you feel convicted in your heart, you need to do Matthew 18. You know what? I know you didn't see this or you didn't catch this, but I'm sorry. The, the tone I used. Oh, and, and look, and, and if, they, if they, they notice it, amen. If they didn't notice it, then amen. Yeah, I felt encouraged a couple weeks ago. A sister came up to me and she put that scripture into practice. She was convicted. She said she thought, you know, her tone was, was when she said something, I it totally went over my head. I didn't catch it at all. But I appreciated the fact that she valued our friendship so much so that she thought, you know what, if I said something wrong, to J- I want to go and I want to apologize. And, and that was good because I'm like, man, that makes me feel like our relationship is important to one another. But if we let things just go and just let sin sit there, then we got to wonder how much do we really value these relationships? If I sin against my wife, and whether she brings it up or not, and I know I did, Matthew 18. You didn't catch it, but I know what I did. I know what I did, and I'm sorry. Amen? What kind of thoughts do you tend to have about people? Saved people. Lost people. When it comes to people, we must use God's word to help us think the truth about others. I've learned... That when I start to have evil thoughts, and this is not always easy, but when I start to think evil about people, I have to point to God's word and trust the power of God's word to work. In in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I have to cling to this scripture and remind myself that people without Christ are harassed and helpless by Satan. I have to remind myself, I have to remember where I was before Christ. There were things that I did because I was under the control of the sinful nature. I didn't care about people around me. I didn't care how they felt. I have to remember what that felt like. Sometimes you're powerless to that, those, those thoughts. Sometimes you're powerless to it, and we got to remember that people are harassed and helpless. That's how Jesus saw people. And it led him to greater compassion. It didn't keep him from going to the cross. It motivated him even more to pursue the cross. And so as we think about people going forward, I want to encourage you. Remember the truth about people. 
Remember the truth about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Think the truth. Be motivated by love. Let love be the paintbrush that you use to paint across people. Assume the best of people. Assume that people, that they want you to be your best, that they want you to do well, that they want your marriage to be well, that they want your kids to do well, that they want your life to be well. Assume the best. And then let's practice having a clear conscience. We shouldn't go a day or weeks or months without dealing with conflict between us. We can resolve conflict, especially because we have the spirit of God living in us. Amen? So as we take our communion, let's pray with this in mind, and let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for leaving your word behind to guide us and to direct us and to help us uh, to seek the truth in each other. God, I pray that you help us to have victories uh, this coming week, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, and God, that this will become a habit of ours. This will replace the bad habits uh, and the bad thoughts that we may have about others uh, in our hearts and our minds. God, we pray that you'll teach us how to trust your word, to use your word, and lead us to those scriptures that will help shape our view and and, and clear up any uh, distorted views we may have about others. And God, help us to be humble um, and allow ourselves to be approached and spoken the truth and love to uh, as we practice speaking the truth and love to others. I pray that as Jesus uh, died for us on the cross, that we too can die to ourselves, uh, that we can carry the cross in our hearts and the body that was broken for us, the blood that was spilled for our salvation. God, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you um, for what, what Jesus did for us. And we pray uh, that you will help us to emulate and imitate him the rest of our lives. God, we love and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.